Thank you, Bill. Good morning, everybody. It's a uh, beautiful occasion that brings us here. It's a very rainy day. I don't know if it's still raining, but uh, it is uh, kind of a gloomy uh, Lord's Day morning, but we're certainly thankful for your presence. We have a great crowd with us today to worship and honor our King. Also to honor, as you know today is, our mothers. Happy Mother's Day to those of you uh, for whom that holiday applies. Really, it applies to all of us because we all are here. We wouldn't be here without our mothers, and I mean that in the most literal way. Uh, so we're certainly thankful to have our mothers and for our mothers to have had us, so those we wouldn't be here to say that. Uh, it could be maybe you never knew your mom. There are people in that situation. Or maybe your mother has already passed away. Or maybe you're, you know and you love and you're with your mom all the time. For everybody, it is different. But for all of us, we are thankful for the gift of life, and God has given us that gift through the giving us of our uh, mothers. So we're thankful for that, and I think it's a, it's a fitting thing that we celebrate that holiday on this Lord's Day. While we're worshiping the Father, we're giving Him thanks for our mothers. I will say, though, in response to what Sean uh, said, us as well, we're going to be going uh, not out to eat into a restaurant, but we're going to my parents' house, we're going to the farm. Uh, so pray for us that we don't have any bad weather or anything. Um, but, you know, it's a little selfish that she's not going to cook because she's the best cook that I've ever known, and we're just having, like, ribs that we bought in some store. So it's, it's really, you know, when you go to her house, you expect fried chicken, or if my older brother's there, she'll bake a ham because he's the good son. Uh, but she just, she makes the best fried chicken, and I'm not going to get any of that. I'm not going to get any of her dinner rolls. I'm not going to get any of her food because we're just buying food because it's her Mother's Day. Well, I think that's a little unfair, but I'll get over it. All right, that being said, uh, it is Mother's Day, and we could talk about anything, but why not use it? Why not lean into the holiday and open our Bibles and consider a biblical discussed mother? There are a lot of great mother characters in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. There are, even expanding that, there are great motherly characters, characters who may not be necessarily a biological mother to a person in question, but mothered them and cared for them and looked after them uh, in a motherly kind of way. But I want us to focus our attention in a simple short sermon this morning on one particular mother, and that being the mother of Moses. So let's talk this morning. Open your Bibles. You had the reading a minute ago. If you already shut it, open your Bible back up to Exodus. And let's consider Jochebed, Moses' mother, and how in particular she is such an excellent template for the kind of faith that we are called to have in Jesus Christ. Now I want to double down and emphasize that point because I guarantee you there are a lot of preachers all over the country, if not well, I don't know if they have Mother's Day in other parts of the world, but at least in the country where everybody's celebrating Mother's Day. Everybody is at some assembly somewhere worshiping, and the preacher's probably preaching about mothers. But I don't want this just to be a very um, surface level, look, Jochebed was a mother, so here's some things that made her a mother, and then we all go home. That's, that doesn't quite do it justice. What I want to do is use Jochebed and use the, what the Bible tells us about her, particularly in the beginning of Exodus chapter 2, to see an example for us, an application for us, for how we can live. Not just how you ladies who are going to be mothers one day could live. Not just you ladies who are mothers already can live. But all of us can live. Because it is Jacob's faith that makes her such a great mother and such a great godly person. And it's that faith that we're going to consider in two simple points this morning. Jacob's um, active faith and also her passive faith. And we'll define those two through the text as we go. But first of all, I think it's important for us to get some context. 
So if you have your Bibles open to Exodus 2, just back up a page and look at Exodus chapter 1. And let's get, it's, it is context to what is going on and what kind of situation she's finding herself, Jochebed is. But it's also going to introduce to us some other women characters who exhibit godly motherliness. All right? So look at Exodus 1, and let's start in verse number 8. And we're going to read, it's a lengthy reading, uh, but let's read together 8 through the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8, Moses writes, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, a pharaoh, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falls out any war, they join with our enemies and fight against us. So get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over the Israelites taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities of Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they, the Egyptians, were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and brick, and all manner of service of the field. And all their service wherein they were made to serve, it was with rigor. Verse 15. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra, and the other was named Pua. And he said to them, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son that is born, you shall kill him. And if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but instead saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, this is verse 19, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're lively, and they, they deliver their uh, children before the midwives can come to them. So there God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that God made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall keep alive. So what is Pharaoh's deal here? What is his problem? Well, you get a hint of it earlier in the chapter. You get some sense of the thought process. Before the Israelites, when they're in Egypt, but they're not yet in bondage. In that period, they're just a nation living within the borders of Egypt, and they're slowly growing and exceeding even, perhaps, the population of Egypt itself. To the point where the local government, over which Pharaoh rules, he starts to look at this and he says, we have within our boundary this infestive nation that has come into our land does not share our culture necessarily and could potentially join up with a, a rival nation if they should invade us and overthrow us and defeat us and we need to do something about that so we need to stop that so what we need to do the pharaoh says is we need to first of all put them into bondage and force them to submit to us so that we have control over them so that they can't necessarily rebel against us but even though they put them in a hardship situation, even though they made their lives as miserable in a worldly sense as one could, and they made them to not only labor, but the King James says with rigor, that is to say, with back-breaking hardship labor. Despite that, they continue to multiply and grow, which really defies conventional wisdom. Usually in a, in a difficult time, populations decrease or grow stagnant, but here the population is excelling and increasing and multiplying to the point where it becomes a real problem for the Pharaoh. I've now not only got slave labor, but I've got a potential revolt on my hands of slaves who might want to rebel, and they're going to soon outnumber us, if not already. 
So he thinks, I've got to do something about this. And what does he plan to do? He plans to cull the herd. I'm going to cut down on how many men there are going to be because those, men, those baby boys will grow up to be men and those men will grow into soldiers and those soldiers would rebel should they be invaded by another nation. So we have to cull the herd. So he goes to the midwives, the women who, you know what midwives are, they're there to facilitate the birth and to help in the delivery of the child. And he says to them, it's very simple, if the baby that you help be born is a girl, fine, I don't need to know about it. But if the baby that is born is a boy, I expect you to kill that infant right after delivery. As soon as that baby is born, you recognize it's a boy, and you put it to death. So that's the decree, and it's a decree, according to Moses in Exodus 1, given by Pharaoh himself, the king himself, to these midwives. That's how serious he is. A little time passes, he looks around, a bunch of baby boys just all over the place. Well, didn't I give a commandment? Why am I seeing a bunch of baby boys? So he goes to the midwives, and he says, where are all these baby boys coming from? Didn't I tell you to kill them? And the midwives, cheeky as they are, they say, well, you know, the thing about Hebrew women, they call us to come help them. By the time we get there, they've already delivered. They're just, they're so, the King James says lively. They're so vigorous. They're so, they're so, they work so hard, and they move so quickly that by the time we got there, they've already had their baby. Now, if I'm Pharaoh, as my son Caleb will say, I'm thinking, that's a bit sus. <laughs> I don't know about that story. And so he has to move to plan number B. And his next plan is to call out a decree to the whole kingdom. Now, it says that. I believe that. But I also know Pharaoh being as militant as he is, and I mean that literally. He's thinking of armies and invasions and things like that. He's also the commander-in-chief of his army. I doubt he just left it as a broad decree to everybody. Probably he made a special instruction also to his soldiers to say, Start looking, and if you see any newborn babies that are boys, you grab them, you take them, rip them out of the arms of their mothers, and you toss them into the Nile. And so we're going to cull this herd one way or the other. This is the environment in which we are introduced to Jochebed in Exodus chapter 2. Now, she's not given, her name is not given to us, but we know this is who it is. It's Moses' mother and so forth. But this is the environment that she is, is introduced to us in. A dark and evil environment full of infanticide and the pressure to either submit to evil rule or to do nothing and let evil happen. And she, in that environment of wickedness, becomes a model for the kind of faith that we should have when we find ourselves in dark and despondent times. So let's consider Jochebed and her great faith. First of all, by noticing she is a woman of active faith you hear the word active what do you think you think doing that's fine but that doesn't completely define it as we're going to use it in the sermon because the next point is going to be passive and i don't want you to think passive faith means not doing that's not that kind of passive these are two good kinds of faith that we need to have in times we must be active in our faith and in times we must be passive in our faith and i'll explain that in a second but in terms of active what it means is she is deliberately acting against something in this case pharaoh look at hebrews just to go to the hall of fame of faith you could get it out of exodus 2 if you want but i want to just succinctly put it and the hall of fame of faith really succinctly puts jacobed hebrews 11 verse 23 you'll notice the first three words are by faith moses but it's not moses faith being praised he's just talked about here look at hebrews 11 23 by faith moses when he was born was hid three months by his parents because they saw he was, the King James says, a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
Now in Hebrews, it's both parents mentioned. If you read Moses' account in Exodus, he just singles out his mother. She hid him, she did this, she did that. And the reason is because Moses writes Exodus 1 and 2 purely about these godly women. And so he focuses on his mother. But in the Hebrew summary, he says, Moses was born and his parents looked at them, and let's keep the focus on Jochebed this Mother's Day. She looks at him and she recognizes he's a beautiful child, and so she says, I cannot kill this baby. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not saying if he was an ugly baby, she would have let him die. There are ugly babies. It's okay. It's okay to admit it. We've all seen ugly babies. But here's the thing. None of us have ever seen our own babies be ugly, right? Your baby, to you, okay, is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. To me, my three sons, I'd never seen anything. Now, now I know. Now I can look at them, and, you know, they've changed. But when they were first brand new, I've never seen anything more beautiful to you, to a mother in particular, your newborn baby that you're holding is beautiful. People around you may think, well, that one turned out ugly, but the mother's not going to see it that way, okay? That's true. You're laughing because you know it's true. Though all Moses and the writer of Hebrews is telling you is, when they looked at their baby, when she saw her baby, she just instantly, as mothers all want to do, fell in love. She saw this baby is mine. This baby is beautiful. I cannot fathom the concept of putting this child to death of killing this child. And so what does she do? For three months, she disobeys the command. For three months, she actively works against the command of Pharaoh. For three months, she hides. Hiding is not passive here. Let me tell you, in the negative sense, the negative kind of passive, the do nothing. Here's what doing nothing looks like. Do nothing is not go kill her child. Do nothing is not kill her child and not hide her child. Do nothing is just pretend like there's no problem at all. And what happens if you do nothing? The Pharaoh will find your child, and the Pharaoh will kill your child. She has, as we all do, whenever we are put in a dark situation and a dark commandment is given to us, she had three options. Option A, I can go along with the evil commandment. I can kill my child. Very quickly, instantaneously, she recognized that's not a commandment I'm going to obey. So she's left with two other commandments. I can either do nothing and let my child eventually be found and killed, or I can actively push against the tide. And I'm going to need help to do that because it's a big tide of evil. It's a big group of people who are going to be pressuring me. It's the situation's pressure itself. I need faith in God to see me through this. And so Jochebed, with her faith in God, pushes against the tide. With her faith in God, she goes out of her way to disobey a command of the king, knowing that if she gets caught, she's certainly going to be killed. If she does nothing and they find her baby, they'll take her baby, she'll probably be fine. But she is actively opposing. So if they find the baby, they're going to find her, they're going to kill them both. But she thinks, I'm never giving up this baby. I am going to hide this baby. And so for three months, she demonstrates for us what it looks like when we are put in what seems like a no-win situation where you can either do evil or do nothing. And she says, no, I will oppose. I will stand against, I will stand for righteousness, I'll push against the tide. That's an example of active faith to follow. But it's not just active faith, because it doesn't stop there. Now turn over to the next page. Look at Exodus chapter 2. And read with me verses 1 through 10. I know the reading was through 9, but let's finish the context. Look at Exodus 2, 1 through 10. In that environment, there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. This is Jochebed. And when she saw him, he was a goodly child, and so she hid him three months. 
And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the, the weeds by the river's bank. And his sister, that's Miriam, stood afar off to know what would be done to him, to see what would happen. Verse 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when they saw the ark among the weeds, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. This is the princess of Egypt. Saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid, the little girl, went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him, to the Pharaoh's, brought him up as Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, as she said, because I drew him out of the water. Jochebed, for three months, had to actively do something. But from her perspective, it was the easiest thing she ever had to do. It was the easiest choice she ever had to make. She instantly falls in love with this child and carries with him a motherly, with her a motherly love so that the concept of hiding and actively opposing this commandment was nothing to her. Actively doing the, the opposite of the command is easy for her. But now comes this situation where after three months of hiding, she realizes this baby's not getting any littler. And I cannot keep hiding him forever. Something new has to be done. It's a new situation. I need a new option. And so now her faith compels her to act differently. Her faith compels her to do something else. And so what does she do? She has to let her child go. Passive release. And if you cannot appreciate how hard that is to put your child in a basket and send him down the river, you're not a parent. You're certainly not a mother. Because this was the hardest thing she would ever have had to do. She made this basket. She puts her child in this basket. And she puts him in the river. And I love, as God does many times in his Bible, I love the poetic irony of the commandment being, if you see a Hebrew boy, you put him in the river. And so she's going to obey that commandment in a godly way. She puts her son in the river, but to save his life, not, not to kill it. She puts him in this homemade basket, and she lets him go. Now listen, she's, let's presume she's knee-deep in the water. This basket is floating away from her fingertips, and once it gets past her fingertips and the current of the river starts taking it, there's no getting it back. There's no second thoughts. There's no way to have a better idea. She could try to slosh and run in the water and not move very fast, and she will never catch up to that basket now that the current has started to take it. So letting this child go carries with it such finality. I am not getting this boy back as far as she knows. So all she can do is let the current and for her, her faith in the providence of God take care of her baby boy. Can you imagine a three-month-old, as we soon learn, crying baby boy and just letting him go? What that takes is faith and trust that God will protect him. And if you think to yourself, oh, well, she knew. She knew the Pharaoh's daughter would be there, right? She'd probably been scouting it out. She'd been spying on the princess. She, so she knew it's this kind of spot around here where just downriver is where she goes to bathe regularly. So in the, around this time of the day or in this time of the week and month and so forth. So he'll found, no. It specifically says that Miriam, his sister, goes to find out where the child would end up. Goes to see what would happen to her baby brother. They don't know. 
And even if they do know, she still has to let him go. Where you really don't know where the current will take him. The amount of faith demonstrated in that passive act of just yielding over is tremendous. That is a person so devoted to God that they are, they are just giving what they have been spending three months of their own protection taken care of, their own safety and health invested in, and letting it go. But as you know, her active faith and her passive faith are rewarded by God. Everybody's rewarded, but she's also rewarded in particular. Everybody's, Moses is rewarded by her active faith. For her three months protecting him, his life is spared. She saved his life. But because of what happened when she let him go and he ends up in the house of Pharaoh, which imagine the reward to Jacob in particular. This woman who for three months is scared that she might die if they find her, now as a result of the providence of God, is being paid by the very family trying to kill that boy to nurse that boy in the rocking chair of the Pharaoh. That's how God works it all out. Because she had faith in him that he would take care of her son, he not only takes care of him, but takes care of her, and through him saves his entire nation. That's thanks to the faith of this mother who loved God and put her faith in God to the point of letting her child go. That's amazing to me. Let me just make some final observations before we close. I'm almost done. If you, if you notice that we did the reading of all of chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2, you notice how little God is mentioned in this. A, a, in a direct way, I mean. God does not give any big speeches in this part of Exodus, though he's going to give some big ones later. He doesn't do any big miracles in this part of Exodus, though you know he's going to do ten plagues and other miracles later. God's part in this part of the story is very detached. He is merely the object of people's reverence, worship, and faith. And as a result of that kind of taking a, a back seat through the opening of Exodus, Moses the writer, and I love the idea that Moses is writing his own origin story, so he is choosing, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the people to highlight. And who are the people that Moses highlights? But a bunch of godly women making motherly decisions throughout the, every step of the way. When the decree is given that boys must die, it is godly women, midwives, who choose to take too long to tie their sandals so they miss the birth and they can't kill the babies. It is godly Mothers who hide their children, including Jochebed and others, one would presume, hide their children in disobedience to the Pharaoh. It was a godly sister who went out dangerously so to follow this uh, basket down the river to see what would become of them. It was a godly maid that first spotted and brought in the basket. It was a, even though she's a pagan, it was a godly Egyptian princess. She demonstrates an aspect of godliness. When she opens the basket lid and there's a crying Hebrew boy inside, and instead of ordering his execution as was the law, he cries and her motherly instinct kicks in and she feels compassion. Over and over and over, godly or godly acting women are the stars of the show of Exodus 1 and 2. And by their actions, and in particular Jacobite's faith, we're given a template for us to follow. Now, as we tie it all together and we bring our minds back to Mother's Day, we look at a person like Jochebed. We see the way that she lived her life and the things that she was willing to do and sacrifice and refuse to do and so forth. And it gives us yet another great Bible template for what a good godly mother is supposed to look like. And if you notice, it's very different from the template the world paints of a, god, of a mother, not a godly mother. The world's view of a mother is just a bigger sister. 
And God's view of a mother is someone who sets an example, who teaches by, by commandment, yes, but by example in particular of what faith and righteousness and following God looks like. And in our day and age, through a Christian prism of a mother who emulates her master Jesus and follows her father, which is in heaven. So as I bring the sermon to a close, we extend the invitation to you. You who may be a child of God, a child of your heavenly father, and you've left home, your father in heaven is wanting you to come back, to embrace you with the gentleness and the tenderness of a godly mother, as he's sometimes depicted in the Old Testament scriptures as well. God is waiting to call you back home. Will you come back home to him? If you are not a Christian, now is your opportunity to be born again, to be drawn up out of the waters of baptism, and to be adopted into the house of God, the way Moses was drawn out of the Nile and adopted to his destined family. So if you have a need, now is your opportunity to make it known. Become a Christian or be restored. Please let your need be known right now as we stand and as we sing. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash matthew-martin414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can, if you can manage that a dollar a month, that's, you know, it's not easy, but if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dash Martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.